Let your kiss confess This is happiness, darling And put all your dreams Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ray Miller of KGIL Radio, hosting pre-show music for your listening pleasure. That was Frank Sinatra opening up our show this evening, singing Put Your Dreams Away. Right now, it's Shelby Flint with Angel on My Shoulder. kind of a sick school is this? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Alrighty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Stand up to my little friend! I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you get the phone. What? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off! Come to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Oh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Then Is Now podcast. I'm your host, Rigor. Up till recently, most of the shows have been discussions where we took an original film and compared and contrasted it with its remake, as well as an amazing interview with podcaster extraordinaire Derek M. Cook. Well, we will do that again, as well as having more guests. Last episode, we kind of changed the format a bit. Then Is Now podcast is all about discussing pop culture of the past and how it relates to the present, as well as sharing with you all the cool stuff that you may have missed out on. A lot of pop culture has been going by the wayside. You know, people are more and more forgetting about, say, Frank Sinatra or Humphrey Bogart. Just so many cool things are being forgotten. So our goal is to shed a light on those things and make them new again, especially to you, the listener. 
Last episode, we touched upon a few topics that will eventually be expanded into full episodes, including toys, what was on TV in October in the mid-70s, a cool newer movie called The Colorado Space, and the resurgence of the drive-in movie theater. In this episode, we're going to continue that trend, along with a primer on what classic horror movies you should expose young people to, especially in this month of Hallotober. We're also going to discuss something called spook shows, and if you don't know what they are, sit back and enjoy this episode. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? Oh, yeah, I'm today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo, woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance oh. bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Shock. After shock. After shock. After shock. After shock. Warning. After shock. The sexual transformation of a man into a woman will actually take place before your very eyes. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An unnatural laboratory experiment transforms the brilliant young Dr. Jekyll into... (laughs) Sister Hyde. At last, free to enjoy all my cravings. A man by day. (laughs) A woman by night. The perfect disguise to indulge a lust for sex and violence that terrorized all London. (laughs) This warning to parents, be sure your children are sufficiently mature to witness the intimate details of this frank and revealing film. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An American International Pictures release in color, rated PG. Was he a woman? Was she a man? Or Or were were they they both? See Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. (laughs) 
So last episode, I kind of went on about UHF and VHF TV stations and the fact that back in the day we couldn't record shows and movies because there was no such thing as VCRs and all that, and we didn't have streaming services. In this day and age, between cable, streaming, and DVDs, pretty much almost every film and TV show that's been made is now readily available to us. That being said, in this month of Hallotober, it's important to introduce young people to the classic horror movies that we remember as kids. There are so many different things to watch, from the universal horror classics to Hammer films, Godzilla films, slasher movies, thrillers, and the list just goes on and on and on. It's kind of hard to determine where to begin, so I've devised a primer to help you along. Whether you're just getting into horror or are a seasoned horror movie watcher, where does one begin to introduce others to horror movies? Today, we're going to start with the universal horror movie classics. I think that not only are they family-friendly, yet still scary, especially to young children, but they're also just so much fun and well-made, and it's a good place to start. Everybody knows the characters of Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy, and the Creature from the Black Lagoon, so let's go back to the beginning to see where it all started. Now, I'm going to preface this with two things. One is that if you or the person you're introducing to horror movies has never seen a black and white film or TV show, you really need to acclimate them to watching such things. Black and white film stock, black and white film stock was way cheaper in the old days and therefore more cost effective in filmmaking than color film. Also, a lot of good directors and cinematographers knew how to take advantage of black and white through the use of shadows and sometimes expressionistic styles of filmmaking. The second thing is that people watching an old film, especially those who've never watched an older film or TV show, need to understand the times in which these films were released. While the really young pretty much won't care about that, older viewers will be able to learn that oftentimes when a film was released and the general public considered it scary, it was most likely because they hadn't seen anything like it before. Anyway, that's a topic for another day. Today, we're going to discuss the Universal Horror Classics. I'm not going to truly be able to do the films we're about to discuss justice, and eventually we'll do a full show on each film, which will be more in-depth. Today, we're just going to scratch the surface and introduce you to a list of films that, in my humble opinion, are required viewing. I'm sure that most of our listeners are familiar with Universal Studios, whether it be their movie and TV productions or their theme park. In the 1920s, Universal had great success with silent horror films, particularly with the actor Lon Chaney, who became a star and was dubbed the Man of a Thousand Faces, as he would use special makeup effects to change how he looked in each film. Some of his notable films are The Man Who Laughs, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and The Phantom of the Opera. Lon Chaney Sr. is someone whose career will be spotlighted in a future episode. It really wasn't until the 1930s and the advent of sound that Universal would be put on the map as the indisputable moguls of horror films. I'm going to post a list of the films that we're going to cover here in the show notes, so don't worry about taking notes while you're listening.
I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats, rats, thousands, millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, dear? Tell me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms. And he made me drink. So when introducing someone to these classic horror films, you really should start with Dracula from 1931. Now, Bram Stoker's novel Dracula from 1897 was still wildly popular in 1931. So much so that a stage play in 1927 was created and starred a then-unknown Hungarian actor named Bela Lugosi in the title role. It was only natural that when the film was made, Lugosi was tapped to play Dracula. This kind of propelled him into superstardom as a horror actor and it's a name that no one should forget. Now, Dracula 1931 was directed by Todd Browning and produced by Carl Lamal Jr. It starred Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Dwight Fry as Renfield, Helen Chandler as Mina Seward, David Manners as Jonathan Harker, and Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing. Dracula's been remade countless times. I, I can't tell you how many movies about Dracula have been made. But this version took the best elements of the stage play and combined them with expressionistic filmmaking to create a picture that's part stage play and part silent film, which just makes it creepier. Now, the story's familiar, as a naive real estate agent succumbs to the will of Count Dracula, and the two head to London where the vampire sleeps in his coffin by day and searches for potential victims by night. Dracula was a huge hit in 1931, and Universal scrambled to find the next big horror thing. They didn't have to look very far, though, because Mary Shelley's 1818 novel Frankenstein was naturally the next production. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! 
prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about, the spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Again, a book that was still popular in those days, Frankenstein tells the story of a scientist who sews together parts of dead bodies and brings to life his new creation. Whereas Dracula was a vampire, a suave, sophisticated blood drinker, the Frankenstein monster was like a child who... He really didn't ask to be brought into the world, and he rebelled against his creator. Bela Lugosi was initially offered the part of the monster, but he turned it down due to the fact that there weren't very many lines in it. He thought it was beneath him as an actor. So the part went to yet another unknown, Boris Karloff. Karloff's sympathetic portrayal of the monster not only made for a great story and film, but I'd say it catapulted him into stardom as another major horror actor. Both Dracula and Frankenstein had many sequels, and you know we're going to cover those in future segments. One other thing to note is Jack Pierce's amazing makeup work on the monster, giving him the iconic flat head and neck bolts that we're used to seeing. Moving on to 1932, the next film on your list should be The Mummy, which also stars Boris Karloff. Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. <coughs> There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now. And yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. But instead of adapting another novel, Universal decided to capitalize on the public's interest in the 1922 discovery of King Tut's tomb. The Mummy takes place in 1921, where an archaeological expedition in Egypt discovers the mummy of an ancient Egyptian prince named Imhotep, who was condemned and buried alive for sacrilege. Also found in the tomb is the Scroll of Toth, which can bring the dead back to life. On one particular evening, a young member of the expedition reads the scroll out loud and then goes insane, realizing that he's brought Imhotep back to life. This, by the way, is a great scene in the movie. 
Ten years later, disguised as a modern Egyptian, the mummy attempts to reunite with his lost love, an ancient princess who has been reincarnated into a beautiful young woman. Now, this is not the type of mummy film that you might be used to, with a bandaged, lumbering hulk who just kind of slowly strolls around and kills people. Now, Karloff's mummy quickly loses the bandages and sets about trying to reclaim his lost love. Now, again, Jack Pierce blows everyone's mind with his mummy makeup when we initially see Imhotep in the, in the sarcophagus. David Manners and Edward Van Sloan are also in this movie, making for a great cast. This movie, while it may seem slow to a younger audience, it's truly creepy and well-made. It rightly deserves the moniker of classic. Now, next on the list from 1932 is The Invisible Man, starring Claude Rains. Bandages right up to the top of his head, all round his ears. Flora's worried about Griffin. I had a terrible feeling last night. I felt he was in desperate trouble. He meddled in things men should leave alone. Help! Help! He's here! He's here! 
and a cold and frosty morning. Whoops! Reigns plays Dr. Jack Griffin, who discovers the secrets to invisibility. However, this slowly drives him mad, and Reigns plays the villainous role with malicious glee. Gloria Stewart co-stars in this movie, and the use of chroma key or blue screen to create the invisible effect is top-notch. This picture is so much fun because of Reigns' insane performance. I really enjoy this one. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ray Miller of KGIL Radio, hosting intermission music for your listening pleasure. The intermission will be 10 minutes in length, and the snack bar is open, now serving a variety of your favorite snacks. The restrooms and snack bar are located in the center of the theater park. That was Donna Shore opening up our show, singing Once in a While. Right now, it's Jose Millis playing More Than Anything. Now, after this movie... Universal was kind of feeling like people weren't into their horror movies, so they basically, they did make a few. We'll discuss those next episode. But what ended up happening was there was a movie theater owner that decided to play Dracula and Frankenstein as a double feature, and it was a huge success. So much so that Universal was like, well, these these horror movies actually are going to do pretty good. So um, in 1941, they created... The Wolfman. You've been a long while coming. I'm not buying anything. And I am not selling anything. I expected you sooner. Oh, I remember you. That night. And in the crypt. Go inside. You killed the wolf. Well, there's no crime in that, is there? The wolf was Baylor. You think I don't know the difference between a wolf and a man? Baylor became a wolf, and you killed him. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet, or a silver knife, or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. I tell you I killed a wolf, a plain, ordinary wolf. Take this charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell. Pentagram. Wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm going to get out of here. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, quit handing me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Wear this charm over your heart, always. All right, all right, I'll take it. What's it worth to you? I'll give you... Do you dare to show me the wound? What? Do you dare to show me the wound? Go now. And heaven help you. Now, there was a prior werewolf film in 1935 called The Werewolf of London, but The Wolfman was an even bigger hit, not only creating the familiar tropes of werewolves that we all know, but also catapulting its star, Lon Chaney Jr., into the stratosphere as another major horror star. 
Cheney was born Creighton Cheney, and he was the son of Lon Cheney Sr., the man of a thousand faces from the 1920s. He had been in an adaptation of the book of Mice and Men, and he received acclaim for that role as Lenny, but it was really the Wolfman that made him an international star and was a character he'd be attached to for the rest of his life. Cheney plays Lawrence Talbot, a man living in America who comes home to England and must repair his relationship with his estranged father. One night, while courting a young woman, he sees that her friend is being attacked by what appears to be a wolf, and he jumps in to try to save her, killing the wolf with his silver-handled cane. Little does he know that it was a werewolf, which bites Talbot before he kills it. Claude Rains played Talbot's father, and Bela Lugosi has a small part as Bela, the first werewolf in the film. And the cast is rounded out with Ralph Bellamy, Patrick Knowles, Evelyn Ankers, and Maria Uspinskaya as Maliva, the gypsy lady. This by far is one of the most well-known and popular of the Universal Classics. You know, this film is visually beautiful and definitely stands up to repeated viewing. Now, Lon Chaney Jr. would go on to make Lawrence Talbot his own and played the character in several sequels. Hey, and what kid doesn't like a great werewolf tale? Okay, the last on the list for this week's segment is The Creature from the Black Lagoon from couldn't explain it, but there it was, alive, in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon, a throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago, immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. See underwater thrills never photographed before. See titanic underwater battles never dreamed of before, in this most terrifying of the science fiction adventures. Another film that's hugely popular among fans, The Creature Concerns, an expedition down the Amazon because a fossil of, humano of a humanoid fish hand has been found, and the scientists involved want to see if there's more to it. Well, they get more than they bargain for when they encounter a living gill man who has the hearts for the beautiful Julie Adams. This movie it also has an amazing cast. It's got Richard Carlson, Richard Denning, Whit Bissell, and Nestor Paiva, and it's a true classic in every sense of the word. I think Creature from the Black Lagoon is far more action-packed than the previous films that we covered, and it's definitely a fun horror romp. Its score is amazingly memorable, and the cinematography is top-notch. So that's it, folks. That's where you start. Dracula and Frankenstein from 1931, The Mummy from 1932, 1933's The Invisible Man, the Wolfman from 1941, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954. Now, Universal's released legacy collections for each of those movies, or each of those monsters, I should say, which not only includes the original films, but also the sequels. And this might blow your mind if you're a young listener. Long before Marvel Studios came along with their shared universe, Universal had already done that, with well-known monster mashups, as they've been called. Films that have more than one of the aforementioned monsters in them, and we're going to discuss those in the next segment in our next episode.
3.15 a.m., the house in Amityville, the fifth night. George Lutz relives the horror in his nightmare. Once you live through just one night in the house of the Amityville Horror, you'll discover why the best-selling book that made millions believe in the unbelievable is now the motion picture that will make you believe in the Amityville Horror. From American International, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Here at the bank, we've discovered a fascinating pastime. Hangman. Each player puts a word here. Wrong window. Then they try to guess each other's word. L? Nope. G? No. Endorse it. Q? Uh-uh. R. Right. A? Nope. L? No. N. Wrong bank. If you have a little time to kill, get... Hangman! I won't! Ah. I can't play with these interruptions. Hangman from Milton Bradley. Okay, moving on to toys. So last time we talked about a new Friday the 13th Jason figure that I found at Target from Friday the 13th Part 3. I got another one, but first I'm going to discuss an older toy. It's a tabletop game called Hangman. And the reason I chose this was because the version I have has horror legend Vincent Price on the cover. Price also promoted the game through a TV commercial, and who better to celebrate Halloween with than the master horror actor? Vincent Price. Now, he was never in a universal horror film, I will say, or at least any of the classics, but we're going to do a whole show on him at some point, too. If you've ever played Hangman with pen and paper, then you kind of get the gist of this game. You basically have these two plastic folding containers, much like Battleship. Your opponent opens one that's facing them, and then you have yours facing you, and each plastic container has several small cards with letters of the alphabet on them. You and your opponent each come up with a word, and you know, you pick the letters for that word and place the cards on the top of the container facing you so they can't see your word. Then you each take turns guessing letters from the other's word. If you guess a letter right, the player takes the small card from the top and turns it around to face the opponent. If the player guesses wrong, the opponent turns a dial and a small window facing the other player shows the gallows. As a letter is missed and the dial turned, the small image of the person being hung takes shape, starting with a head, then body, then each arm and each leg, much like you'd play it on paper. Obviously, the first person to get fully hung is the loser and the other one the winner. It's a basic game, but you know, with Vincent Price giving it his endorsement, I couldn't help myself but discuss it here. I did find several of them online for sale, so you better grab one quick before there aren't any more. Next up here, I've got a new toy. 
Yet another target acquirement. Yes, it's a Jason figure. This time from the film Freddy vs. Jason. Last week we talked about the figure from Friday the 13th Part 3. Now this one is equally as cool. And when I first looked at it, I guess I didn't read the box because I thought it was Jason from Part 6. But no, no, this is from the cool monster mashup. Yes, a monster mashup in the vein of the old Universal mashups. No pun intended. Where Jason and Freddy meet and not only fight over victims, but fight each other in a great battle. This figure is so cool. Under the mask, you have Jason's deformed head. And then there are two other Jason masks. One with Freddy slashes all over it and the other one covered in blood. It doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of other accessories. Just two machetes. One with blood on it and the other without. And a teddy bear. On the back of the box are some cool pictures of the character in different poses, and one is hilarious with Jason sitting down and holding up the teddy bear just looking at it. And I often wonder, what's he thinking in that moment? Did, is he thinking about his lost childhood? Or, I don't know. I, maybe I'm thinking too hard about this. Now, I'm not going to go into the movie here, but if you're a fan of the Friday the 13th series or the Nightmare on Elm Street film series or both, then you'll really enjoy Freddy vs. Jason. The box for this one that I got has a profile of Jason's head with the mask on out on the cover of the box. So at the store, I didn't see a Freddy one, but I'm going to imagine that it probably has a profile of Freddy on it, maybe facing the other way. So when you put them together, they're looking at each other. I would love to get the Jason figure um, not only from Friday the 13th Part 2, but also Part 6. So hopefully, Target, if you're listening, please restock these things for Halloween. Now, these really aren't toys for kids, but they're, but they're more for collectors like myself who can really appreciate them. It's the biggest cavalcade of black superstars ever to explode on one screen. Scatman Brothers, Glenn Terman, Pam Greer. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. Carl Weathers, Thomas Rasalula, Fred Williamson. You know any prayers, Cracker? Yafet Kodo, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, Isaac Hayes, and Kung Fu Killers. As Filmways presents... Dr. Dawn, drive-in movie marathon. Six and a half hours of unbeatable excitement like you've never imagined before on one giant screen. Isaac Hayes is Truck Turner. Glenn Turman in Cooley High. Pam Greer and Fred Williamson in Bucktown. And the meanest kung fu killers in all of Shanghai. You can't beat it, so don't bypass this one, baby. The, the Dusk to Dawn Drive-In Movie Marathon. It starts at dusk and lasts till dawn. All night long. Rated R. And the facts, what's behind what you see, TV guy, the whole world of TV, that's entertainment, the stars, underneath all the glow and the news, from the people who know TV guy, it's a fabulous show, so buy a TV guy, and read TV guy, that's entertainment. Okay, moving on to the TV Guide segment of this episode, we're going to continue to talk about what kind of cool programming was on TV in the mid-1970s. And as always, we will scan these images in and post them on our Facebook Retro TV Guide Scans page, as well as the show notes, just so you can see them. Now, we're looking at um, October 11th to the 17th of 1975, this particular TV guide is a Western New England edition, so it does not have Channel 56. 
from Boston, so we can't tell you what was on Creature Double Feature on October 11th of 1975. However, I did find at 2.15 in the morning, Saturday night into Sunday, on Channel 5 from Boston, was the black and white thriller Before I Hang from 1940. Boris Karloff has a field day as a doctor who embarks on a murder rampage after injecting himself with a killer's blood. That sounds really good, and it sounds like the kind of movie I would have stayed up to watch, although back in 75, I would have been too young. So I guess I did not see that one. And on October 14th, we have a brand new Space 1999. Burned out equipment and frozen corpses lie in the wake of a rampaging technician whose body has been invaded by a mysterious force. Uh, and there's a cool ad for it as well. I think in the future we are going to dedicate an episode to Space 1999 because it was such a fun TV show. Then on Friday, October 17th, we've got at 11.40 at night. It was uh, it didn't start at 11.30 because of something called the Pan American Games Wrap-Up, which I have no idea what the heck that is. But at 11.40 on Channel 7 in Boston, we had... Monster Rabbits Terrorize Arizona in Night of the Lepus, a 1972 horror tale filmed on location. It stars Stuart Whitman, Janet Lee from Psycho, and of course DeForest Kelly who played Dr. McCoy in the original Star Trek TV series. So that was it for the week of October 11th to the 17th in the year 1975 we jump up a year to 1976 and this tv guide covers october 9th to the 15th and on saturday at one in the afternoon on creature double feature our first feature was the angry red planet and on that page that shows that we also have a cool ad for not only space 1999 but the gong show as well and then our second creature feature on creature double feature at 2:30 was journey to the seventh planet both pretty good B-movies. And you'll love this one, at least I love this one. At 9 o'clock at night on Saturday, October 9th, 1976, Channel 7 in Boston played Snakes are the subject of melodramatic horror in 1973 about a mad venom researcher with a penchant for turning his lab assistants into king cobras. And uh, Struther Martin plays Dr. Carl Stoner here, and his victim, David Blake, is played by Dirk Benedict, who is also widely known as none other than Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. Then on October 12, 1976, we have a cool ad for The Muppet Show, guest starring Paul Williams, and an ad for In Search Of. Atlantis, city of ancient legend, may be on the brink of discovery under Bahamian waters. Leonard Nimoy narrates the exciting story. Then on October 13, 1976, we have another ad for In Search Of. Tonight, we're the one to turn to. In Search Of. Do prehistoric monsters live in Scotland's Loch Ness? Leonard Nimoy searches for new evidence. Premieres tonight, 7.30 p.m. In Search Of was a really fun show if you have had a chance to see it. Then, this I thought was really cool because it fit with our episode tonight. On Friday, October 15th, 1976, Friday the 15th, Part 5 in Super 3D. We have on a Channel 8, which I'm not familiar with where Channel 8 is out of, at 11.30 on Friday night, Dracula 1931. Bela Lugosi recreates the stage role that made him famous as the vampire count of Bram Stoker's horror classic. Atmospheric Direction by Todd Browning. 
So even TV Guide gave it a standing ovation, if you will. No, they gave Dracula, like, huge props there. And then we're going to move on to our final TV Guide of October. With this, we're going to jump up to 1978. This TV Guide is from October 14th to the 20th, 1978. One thing I found that's not horror-related, but that was fun, and there's a cool ad for it in here. Original cast, new movie. Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Gilligan, the skipper, Marianne, the professor, and all your favorites are back in civilization and back in an all-new movie. World premiere movie. Bob Denver, Alan Hale Jr., Jim Backus, Natalie Schaefer, Don Wells, 9 p.m. tonight on Channel 4. They don't mention Russell Johnson, who played the professor. He's always stuck in that and the rest category. And in this one, it says the original cast, which it's... You know, 90% the original cast. But Tina Louise did not reprise her role as Ginger. And instead, we had a different actress named Judith Baldwin who took over the role. I remember this being a big deal in my house. I think I was even allowed to stay up late. It was on a Saturday night, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. I was able to stay up late and watch this movie. It's not great. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if you're a Gilligan fan and you've never seen this, it's worth it just to be a Gilligan completist. But it's really not that good of a movie. Um, th they just lost something with this but you know what it's enjoyable anyways it's fun to watch and you can probably find it in the dollar DVD bin in your local uh, dollar store and yeah so that's it for TV Guide what was on in mid 70s in October not a lot not a lot of great stuff but maybe we'll find something when we get closer to Halloween and see what was playing around, around and on Halloween in the mid 1970s that's it for this segment for this week. Join us again for more TV Guide fun next week. As always, the scans will be in the show notes as well as on our Facebook Retro TV Guide scans page. We'd love to hear your feedback. We've gotten some good feedback on our retro page. So check it out and let us know what you think. Fun. All the shows they to see and the facts. What's behind what you see TV Guide. The whole world of TV. That's entertainment. The stars underneath all the glow and the news from the people who know TV Guide. It's a fabulous show. Go buy a TV Guide and read TV Guide. That's entertainment. Good midnight to you. You are here at the invitation of the young American mystic cult of horrors. And you shall enjoy being horrified to the point of sheer panic as you are transported into the dark sepulchers of this mysterious night. And you may feel yourself changing from the gentle person you are to a monster with dark green blood running through its veins. Or you may change into a werewolf with long fangs for teeth. Or you may become a vampire with a deep urge within you for a refreshing drink of blood, warm human blood. Of course, these changes will happen to only a few of you, while others 
will remain as themselves, in a way, in a strange sort of way. And after your weird experiences, I will return to lead you out of the darkness of death, back to life. Okay, we are on to our last segment of this episode, and as promised from the beginning, I'm going to tell you about something you probably haven't heard of called spook shows. And if you're a true monster kid, if you have already heard of a spook show or you don't know what they are and you hear my description here, you're probably going to wish that you had actually been able to attend one of these spook shows because they sound fun. And if you are someone that actually has been to a spook show, or as they're called, Midnight Ghost Shows, then let us know. Get, uh, drop us a line at uh, thatisnow42 at gmail.com and let us know what the experience was like. I would love to talk to someone that's actually been to a Midnight Spook Show. You'll see blood-curdling sadistic surgery. Someone's head will be cut off with a butcher knife and thrown to the audience. Don't lose your head. <laughs> Do you believe that the out-of-space monster who died, yet alive, will come to seek the warm blood he needs to keep himself alive? Don't treat this lightly. How are you fixed for blood? <laughs> the dead will return from graves. Ghosts and skeletons will fly above you, and some may sit by your side and plant cold, damp kisses upon your cheek. Do you believe that a lady from the audience will be hypnotized and float in midair above you? Wait and see. Do you believe the brain of any volunteer from the audience will be pierced with 15 knives and yet he'll live? Wait and see, or why not try it yourself? Or are you brave enough? <laughs> so, for those who don't know, Midnight Spook Shows, Midnight Ghost Shows, or later as they were called, Midnight Monster Shows, were a unique form of entertainment that's no longer around. In the 1920s and 30s, you know, spiritualism swept the country and mediums and magicians popped up as fast as Harry Houdini could debunk them. People were looking for an offbeat type of entertainment, and it came in the form of the Midnight Spook Show. Spook shows were programs that were held at movie theaters at midnight, generally because the theaters had stopped showing films by then. The typical ghost show formula would vary, I guess, between performers, but an average show would start with like 15 minutes of the host introducing himself as a medium and sort of laying the groundwork for what was to come. And then after this would probably be like 30 to 45 minutes of a typical medium showmanship such as conjuring, mentalism, and ghostly illusions in low light, sometimes with audience participation. The show would culminate with a blinding flash of light and then everything going dark in what was known as a blackout. Suddenly, luminescent ghosts and ghouls and other monsters would fly all around the room, terrorizing the audience. 
It's so scary, we dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in horror vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, horror vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in horror vision and color. In later years of the spook shows, a horror film would be shown after the blackout, particularly with the resurgence and interest of the universal monster films like Dracula and Frankenstein. These shows toured around the country, often making deals with the film companies which owned most of the theater chains, thus making it easier to get bookings. Because if they owned the chains, all you had to do was book with one and they'd say, okay, well, we'll put you in Cleveland here and Toledo there and Los Angeles there. I think that was uh, very smart on the part of the people running the spook shows. Now, the creation of these shows is credited to a guy named Elwin Charles Peck, who went by the name Elwin. And you can't really see it, but it's E-L-W-Y-N. He would tell the audience that he was in contact with the dead and essentially put on a seance for them with spirits flying all over the theater. And he inspired other Ghostmasters, as they were known, to follow his pattern and travel around with these type of shows. In person, on stage, first time here, three all-new Super Shock shows. Stage show number one, from beyond the grave, it's Dr. Evil and his tears of the unknown. Unlike anything you have ever seen before, the theater is turned into a graveyard. Your seats become coffins. Weird creatures sit next to you and put their cold, clammy hands around your throat and whisper things in your ears. Live snakes roam up and down the aisles. Inhuman monsters run loose in the audience and cut off the heads of beautiful girls. It's weird and unbelievable. Plus, stage show number two. See in person, The Mummy and King Kong. Famous Hollywood gorilla, real and alive. We can't advertise what The Mummy does when he grabs beautiful slave girls and the lights go out. But wow, something you never dreamt you'd see anywhere. Warning, girls should not come alone. You will have nightmares for a week. However, the theater management will stop the show anytime it becomes too scary. All on stage, in person, plus a horrific screen program. There were many hosts associated with these shows, such as Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Evil, Valot, Raymond, Francisco, but it was Toledo-based Jack Baker, a.k.a. Dr. Silkini, that became the king of the Midnight Spook shows. Baker turned the show into a satire of the spiritualist scene with magic tricks mixed together with lots of jokes, skits, gimmicks, and audience participation. And there were a few solid scares dropped in as well. Silkini's Asylum of Horrors show would often have more than one blackout in a performance, as well as hypnotism, live monsters like a mummy or a Frankenstein on stage, and luminescent ghosts and skeletons flying all over the place. 
Sometimes the monsters would run out into the audience, terrorizing the patrons. In the closing Making a Monster skit, Silkini and his hunchbacked assistant threw several body parts on a table and covered it with a sheet. The stage was bathed in green light, punctuated with lightning flashes and thunder. A moment later, the sheet fell away as the Frankenstein monster rose from the table, strangled the hunchback, and headed into the audience seconds before the theater went black again. Pandemonium was pretty much guaranteed at that point. Now, these shows were insanely fun, and teenagers flocked to them in droves, but by the late 50s into the 60s, these acts sort of grew more gruesome with beheadings, blood, and severed body parts, very much like the old Grand Guignol shows in France in the late 1800s. Walked through a graveyard late at night and seen a coffin open. Have you ever thought what it would be like to see a person's head amputated? Think. Think of things so horrible that the human mind cannot imagine them. See all this and more when you see on stage in person that crazy mixed up dr evil and his tears of the unknown unlike anything that you ever seen or heard of in the past hideous creatures from beyond the grave leave the stage and grab girls right out of their seats girls do not come alone bring your boyfriend to protect you when the lights go out you may find a live snake or rat under your seat a real dead body is given away to some lucky person at every performance also in person the mummy and king kong famous hollywood gorilla real and alive. Plus, on the screen, two horrific motion pictures. Dr. Evil and his tears of the unknown. Plus, two horrific pictures. However, the rise of the drive-in theaters and television started to make these shows seem old-fashioned. Also, the rise in juvenile delinquency caused a great deal of safety issues at these shows, coupled with the increasing sophistication with horror movies, particularly The Exorcist in 1973 that people started to demand more in their spook show entertainment. But the technology and the equipment needed to keep up with the public's sophisticated tastes became too costly, and the last spook show was in 1977. While these shows are all but gone and forgotten, they did give rise along the way to quite a few things that we still enjoy today. Many of those Ghostmasters went on to be horror TV hosts, a topic that we'll definitely cover in future episodes. Director Joe Dante celebrated Baker's career in his movie Matinee, starring John Goodman. The Spook Show's 4D acts inspired filmmaker William Castle to become an amazing promoter of his own horror films, with gags in the theater that would attract as many moviegoers as they scared, and here's another topic that we will cover in a future episode. Midnight movie showings, such as El Topo, or even the Rocky Horror Picture Show with its audience participation performances, still go on to this day. You know, Midnight Ghost or Spook Shows may have had their heyday many years ago, but their influence is still felt today. And who knows, maybe in this crazy era we live in, anything's possible, and with the drive-in theaters making a major comeback, can the Midnight Spook Shows be far behind? Fit your sanity against our marathon of fright. Shock follows shock. Your breath comes in gasps, hearts fall. Then, the mind explodes. For the unlucky ones, a straitjacket and a free trip to the booby hatch. <laughs> to the strong, a free Fright Club membership card. See the grisly, macabre marathon of fright and learn your fate. Will it be life or living death? <laughs> 
I suggest you get online and do a little bit more research on these spook shows. I do believe there is someone out there who does continue the spook show tradition, and we're going to try and get him on the show here. And we hope you enjoyed this segment. You learned a little something about something that you've never heard of, the Midnight Spook Shows. Okay, so that's all the time we have for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed the topics we covered. Maybe you've heard about something cool that you didn't know about and you're going to go investigate it further. We want your feedback. Send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook as well as our website, havenpodcasts.com. And check out our other show, The East Meets the West, where we discuss a Spaghetti Western and a Shar Brothers film each episode. And don't forget to check out our Retro TV Guide Scans page on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. Class dismissed. Thank you.